the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. I feel cold. I feel wet. But I feel like a winner. What is Tingus Pingus? That's the problem. All right, right back. Let's go. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. On the first play from scrimmage for Washington, has put six points on the board from 88 yards out. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a trick move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. He's down the sideline. Touchdown, Aiden Cade. Touchdown, Drive. Oh, my goodness. Three to shoot. Runner in the lane. It's in. Shepard wins. Shepard wins at the buzzer. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And welcome inside the historic Hoppy Kerchival Building here in equally historic Martinsburg, West Virginia. It is the 10th day of January, 2024. And we are live. I'm Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods, Parker Stone alongside. You know, Daniel Woods and I have many hobbies, and one of those hobbies is getting in a vehicle and driving around aimlessly for an hour and a half. That's what we did yesterday in the great city of Hagerstown. It tends to happen from time to time. You know, every once in a while. We went up there. Of course, we were going to broadcast some EPAC girls basketball, at least one EPAC team, as uh, Washington was going on to take up, or going up to take on, I should say, St. Marie Goretti. Game got canceled. Everybody knew about it, except for us, somehow. Oh, well, you know. So we got a nice view of Hagerstown in the middle of a torrential downpour. Uh, so that I say all that to say that's why we didn't have basketball yesterday. But We got know, extensive tours of both St. Maria Goretti campuses. Indeed. And, uh, of course, if you haven't heard, St. Maria Goretti closing their doors at the end of the year. So, you know, just a couple of months left for those of you that want to go out and enjoy those campuses as well. But, you know, Daniel Woods took his feelings out. Uh, on the skillet above the stove, because when I walked in about 30 minutes later after dropping him off, I mean, the garlic smell that I got <laughs> was otherworldly. I mean, it, it was something else. I mean, so, you can't have garlic fried rice without a lot of garlic. That's true. Parker Stone, what'd you eat for dinner last night? Let I, me guess. You ate a microwave burrito and like six Pop-Tarts. That sadly was not my dinner <laughs> last night. Actually, we uh, I took a trip up down south to Winchester. The girlfriend made me some uh, chicken tacos last night. Hey, you know, right. you can't say really no good. to that either. They were really good. Little Taco Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, we got a little Taco Tuesday going on. I went and got some, uh, well, she needed some of her, uh, like, she puts like these like tea lemon packets in her water that she has. So she asked me to get some of those. And then I was in Walmart and noticed there was a, uh, the avocado ranch from Taco Bell was in a bottle. Roll, rolled with that, put that on the tacos, man. It, wow. Perfect. Parker Stone, just the old ball and chain. Had to take him to a Walmart at, at, at 9 o'clock at night. Got to do what you got to do, man. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> uh, we've got Shepherd basketball, hopefully, tonight. As far as I know, that game hasn't been canceled. Yeah. You'll have to tune in at 7.30 and find out. I got Fingers sent, crossed. I got sent the game notes uh, a couple minutes ago from the SID, so 
you know, we, we like our I like our chances. You're going to be able to catch that game. Uh, coming up tonight around 7.30, myself, Parker Stone, making that trip out there. But, guys, we got to talk about uh, some two EPAC boys basketball games. It's a shame I wanted to focus more on the girls' EPAC basketball this week, and we will have an opportunity to do so. We've got Washington against Jefferson on Thursday, but we had two pretty high-profile games last night. Parker Stone, we'll start with Jefferson against Balsaman. This is a Jefferson team that's still without their first and third leading scorer, Jamari Jenkins' sideline. Uh, Johnson as well, Kylan Johnson not playing. They're able to defeat Musselman by 11, 56-45. And I say all that to say this. Demarius Wallace was somebody that didn't play much last year for Jefferson. Was on the varsity roster to begin this season, but wasn't getting a ton of minutes. But he's been forced into action because of the injuries. He goes for 19. Gladney's still doing well. He goes for 19. Takeem Drake goes for 8. I ask you this question. Yes, losing to Martinsburg stinks, and people have speculated, well, if Jefferson was fully healthy, would they not have dropped that game, and when they would they still be undefeated? I don't really know if there's any way of knowing. Is Jefferson in the long term, however, better off that they're having a small period without their top two or their top three scores because Wallace is coming on, Drake is coming on, Wilberger's coming on, Ty Vickers is coming on, and this team's going to get even deeper? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I think about when you got guys like Wallace and Drake and Vickers getting significant playing time at this point in the season. Those guys are going to be sectional ready before it's time to be sectional ready and if those guys are at that point and then you've got a dynamic guard in Jamari Jenkins that's going to be coming back and you have guys coming in such like like you keep building this and you get guys who are going to be volatile off the bench then if you're playing nine deep in February you're you're going to be a problem. You're going to be an absolute problem when Johnson gets back, when Jenkins gets back. You're going to have a robust starting five and potentially a full five off the bench as well. And if you're playing 10 deep in high school basketball, you're, you're at a very high advantage, I would imagine, of most of the teams playing throughout the state. So I think overall it's, it's a Jefferson team that's going to be really dangerous. If they keep winning games and finding ways to win games, I mean, they beat Musselman by double digits. That's an impressive win against a Musselman team that's given some teams some problems early in the season. And Jefferson's able to do that with a really depleted core right now. It's a, This is a team I think it's in that conversation. We look at Spring Mills. We look at a team like a Morgantown. And we point to see who are the contenders this year in Quad A. Jefferson is firmly in that conversation. Well, and again, Daniel, you think about if Demarius Wallace gets to the point where, <clears throat> excuse me, he's average. You know, he's not going maybe not average double figures when Jenkins comes back. But if you're getting 15 a night from from Gladney and 15 a night from Jenkins, you're getting eight or 10 a night from Wallace. You're getting some some scoring down low. Vickers or Drake comes in and hits a couple of shots for you. It becomes hard to prepare for, especially since. You know, Marius Wallace is a legitimate, has the legitimate potential to be a three-level scorer and join the three-level scores of Jamari Jenkins um, and Demarius Wallace. That's tough, very tough to match up with. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think if you were looking at this Jefferson team coming into the year and you were thinking, what is what is the one thing this team is missing? It was probably a little bit of bench scoring. And I know Demarius Wallace is in the starting lineup right now, but you get this team healthy. You get Kylan Johnson back. You get... Uh, Jamari Jenkins back. And by the way, Quentin Goins didn't play in that game last night either. Uh, you get all three of those guys back, and then that moves Demarius Wallace to the bench. That gives you a much deeper rotation, and it gives you a, a rotation with some scoring punch to it because uh, you've got Wallace as an option uh, that can come in for you know 12 minutes a game, 
get his shots up, uh, try to be that spark off the bench. And if there's a night where he's not hitting shots, maybe he doesn't play as much. If there's a night that he's hitting shots, maybe he plays a little bit more. I think that's the key that's that's brought so much versatility to this team. You play a three-guard lineup, essentially, uh, when you're healthy with Jenkins, Gladney, and Johnson, but then that allows you to rotate pieces in and out. Takeem Drake's a little bit of a bigger option uh, on the wing. You've got a guy like Tayshawn Roper that you can size down with and get after people and really pressure the basketball. And then Wallace, uh, like I said, brings that scoring punch. So uh, I think if this is what's going to have to happen for this Jefferson team this year, where you have to go a little deeper into that bench early in the season uh, to try to, I guess you would say, hold everything together while you get these guys back from injury. I think it really does prove to be a benefit because you've got guys like Demarius Wallace stepping up in EPAC games and making an impact against good basketball teams. Well, uh, Jefferson takes the floor again this upcoming Friday against Washington. You can hear that game uh, with Parker Stone on the call right here on WBPM and WCST. Spring Mills also won yesterday, 32-point victory over Washington Daniel, 72-40. Uh, four different Cardinals scoring in double figures, 18 for Caleb Thomas to go along with five steals, five blocks, seven rebounds. LaCaiu Smith going for 15. Xavier Anderson drops 12. Aquasia Poku with Champon going for 10 as well. I also got to see the depth late. Uh, I know TJ Crawford came into this game and hit a couple of shots. Um, you can see the official stat line Spring Mills tweeted it out um, uh, 10 hours ago, as a matter of fact. I'll make this prediction, and I don't really think it's that controversial. Spring Mills had four players scoring double figures last night. Spring Mills will not lose a game this year if they have four players scoring double figures in a game because they're so good defensively that if they're getting that kind of production from a point guard, two wings, and a center, again, you don't stop that. If they get double figures like that in a state tournament game, they're going to win that game, in my opinion. I agree. And this is a team that is built to withstand off nights from an individual because Caleb Thomas has the ability to just kind of transcend whatever a defense is trying to do to him just because of his his versatility and the the package of skills that he has for this team. Uh, beyond that, uh, Lakaiu Smith is a guy that doesn't necessarily rely on the three to to put up a lot of his scoring, but his best scoring nights have come when he's knocking down shots from behind the three-point line. If he's got an off-night shooting, then, yeah, Caleb Thomas is going to be able to get things done. If Caleb Thomas is you know struggling with that mid-range game, then you've got Max Anderson, who we've seen uh, at times this season, uh, be able to bully smaller guards and take guys into the post and make things happen that way. Aquasio Poku at Champong is someone that has emerged as a quality spot-up shooter that if all of the focus from the defense centers around Caleb Thomas as soon as the ball goes into the paint, Aquasio's a guy that's going to be able to knock down the open shot. Xavier Anderson's offense improves, it feels like, every single game. We see something new from him on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, so uh, you look at this group of guys, and if somebody's having an off night, this team is built to withstand it, and that's the kind of thing that makes state championship teams. That's what we saw with Morgantown the last couple of years. If Sharon Young was having an off night, Brody Davis was there to put 20 on the board, or you could... A couple years ago, you could throw the ball uh, inside to a guy like Alec Poland who could get you the dirty buckets uh, for Morgantown. And, and you've got that same kind of group this year uh, for, for this Spring Mills team. Well, and think about this, Parker Stone. I mean, you think about the ingredients that you'd like to see in a good team. You know, the high ball pressure defense, check the box for Spring Mills. Players that can defend the brim, check the box for Spring Mills. You know, guys that 
can hit that outside shot consistently. Multiple guys that can hit that outside shot consistently. Check the box. Ball handlers, check the box. Wing scoring, check the box. Isolation scoring, you know, being able to score one-on-one, check the box. Being able to get buckets off of offensive rebounds, check the box. You know, we're hyping up this team a lot, and it's just January. And, you know, let's not forget that Spring Mills, in no fault of their own, they had some personnel changes, had a, a much weaker February than they did in January. So you want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But you look at the way this team's put together, and you ask yourself this question. If not for a Herculean performance from another team's best scorer, say Sharon Young and Morgantown drops 30 points, and that's how Morgantown wins the game. I don't see it from a tactical standpoint the weakness that needs to be exploited in Spring Mills. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to find a weakness in the armor with Spring Mills right now. They're, they're clicking, and if they keep playing like this, the key for them is to keep playing like this because this time last year, Spring Mills looked this good. Things happened down the stretch. They fell apart a little bit and weren't able to cross into that territory of being a team that is going and having that experience playing in Charleston last year. Can they keep the momentum going, I think, is the big question that everyone has at this point. They were a betting odds favorite this time last year, and then things fell apart. Jefferson had an emergence. Hedgesville had an emergence. Musselman had one of the better second halves we've seen in a long, long time in basketball here in this conference. It's going to come down to staying consistent, but I, I think this team learned a lot from last year's trials and this is a much better team than what it was last year we have Thomas who's going to be in that conversation as one of the top players in the state you look at Lakayu Smith who's taken that step you look at key contributors like Apoku Champon and both the Anderson brothers as well and Tyler Jones who's contributing it's if you're playing deep and you have that star power and you're playing together you're going to be a really tough team to beat. And Spring Mills has proved that within the first month of the season. We'll continue the basketball conversation coming up on the other side of this break, but we'll transition to college because Shepard basketball has added their first recruit for next year's class. We'll talk about him. We'll preview tonight's game. We'll listen back to uh, some of the key highlights from a crazy night of college basketball and also talk about, well, we got to, an unfortunate uh, game for the Mountaineer men's basketball team. So stay tuned. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back, Panhandle Sports Live. College basketball coming up tonight. Shepard takes on Westchester. The Rams, a couple games below 500, looking to get back to winning ways. The Golden Rams of Westchester, 8-5, and 5-2 five, five and in conference play. Elijah Allen is fourth in the conference in scoring, possesses or presents a unique challenge. Westchester averaging 80 points a game, so it's another matter of uh, one of the conference's top offenses um, in Westchester, which is fourth in scoring against Shepard, is the number two defense in the conference, averaging 64 points per game. Before we talk about this matchup, uh, and the women play tonight against Westchester as well, we'll preview that game. Uh, Daniel Woods, big commit yesterday. Elwin Wardlaw coming out of the D.C. metro area, uh, playing at Frederick High School, commits to next year's Shepherd basketball program. He's a six-foot point guard. What did you see from him when you watched the film? Uh, well, what, what was most interesting was some of his most impressive tape came earlier this year against Jefferson in a game that, that Jefferson beat a really 
well-regarded Frederick program. And I think what stood out for me was uh, his vision as a passer, particularly in the open floor. Uh, and again, this is just watching highlight tape on Huddle. Uh, but what stood out to me was uh, the passes he was able to make, uh, seeing guys up the floor, you know, getting out in, in transition off of a missed shot, you know, keeping your eyes ahead at midcourt and and just hitting those passes ahead to guys I think stood out. And this is a, a Shepard team that's going to need options at the point guard position going into next year with Philip Jordan uh, running out of eligibility this year. You know, Marcus Banks has handled the point a decent bit this year off the bench, but I think the three of us uh, to this point would agree he's better suited off the ball, at least in, in his current form as a player. So you get a guy that can be more of a pass-first point guard, and that's not to say he can't score. He's got a, a pretty nice mid-range game. Didn't see him go to the rim a whole lot, but he's got a pretty nice mid-range game, knocked down some catch-and-shoot threes. This seems like a, a guy just watching highlight tape uh, that is what you're going to need on this Shepard team this year, which or excuse me, next year, which is uh, an option at point guard uh, that can find guys spread out across the floor and then be able to knock down an open shot, be able to attack a closeout and draw the defense because he does have the ability to shoot the basketball. Uh, so first commit of the year, I think this is a, a pretty good move uh, for this Shepard team, and it fits a position of need going into next season. Well, you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, position of need. You know, Parker Stone, we were wondering, you're losing a, a really ball-dominant floor general in Philip Jordan coming up next season who averages double digits per game and is, um, you know, the best playmaker on the team. I think there's no doubt about that. And you're also losing one of the best wing scorers of recent memory for Shepard and Daniel McClain-Corley. This is two players that you really can't go wrong when you replace them. You have to get it right for this team to maintain the level of success that they want to have. And it seems as though Wardlaw checks a lot of boxes when it comes to what Philip Jordan uh, is leaving with, although obviously it, it, it's always hard to see a senior and replace him with a freshman. And you also have to wonder what the replacement is going to be for uh, Daniel McClain Corley. But, you know, Justin Namelik does not go to the transfer portal very often. It's been five years since a, a transfer has gotten, you know, meaningful minutes for the Rams. And we've seen what he can do recruiting Marcus Banks. We all love the recruitment of Brody Davis, even though he's not playing right now. He's probably going to be out for the season with an injury. You know, Justin Namelik has shown the ability to go out and get freshmen out of this part of the country like Marcus Banks. Hopefully he does the same with Wardlaw. And then let's not forget, he's going to have to replace a pretty confident wing scorer as well uh, over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think recruiting the next couple cycles is going to be uber important for Coach Namelik, Coach Pacheco, and that entire coaching staff over at Shepard because... That core you had from a couple years ago is almost going to be completely gone after this year. You've lost guys like Kyle Daggett, Cam Stevens, John Preston last year, and now you're going to lose Philip Jordan and DMC this offseason. So how do you look to improve? Well, going back to your roots, you mentioned Coach Namlick's very methodical with his recruiting, likes to bring freshmen in and try and get them in that system for a full four years. So you have a guy that's had the experience like – you look at a Philip Jordan who really emerged a couple years ago towards the back stretch of the 21-22 season. You look at a Daniel McLean Corley, a guy who really got thrusted in. He told him, be our scorer. Could it be Marcus Banks next year being, okay, you're going to have to be our alpha scorer? Could it be Brody Davis? We don't know. But the fact that he's bringing in these guys to 
get significant minutes, like Colton Hartman. Now, was he ready for 14 minutes? I don't know, and I'm pretty sure that coaching staff wasn't prepared to give him 14 minutes on in early January for Colton Hartman, but that's the experience you're talking about. You're getting guys who are getting the minutes at a young period and are still competing. I mean, you're looking at the schedule for Shepard right now, and you may scoff at them having a losing record right now at 5-7, and seven, but really outside of the Slippery Rock loss, these are all high-quality losses right now. You look at Virginia Union, they're a very competent team in their conference. Seton Hill's in the top four right now in the PSAC West. IUP's leading the PSAC West right now, and East Stroudsburg's in the lead right now in the Eastern Division. So, And this is what it boils down to. you got to find ways to get guys that can replace the quality that you have in your lineup, and hopefully this will be another case of that with Coach Namlick getting a hit. Well, the men's basketball team takes on Westchester tonight at 7.30. We're not going to be able to carry the women's game uh, because of sports line, uh, but they take on a Westchester team that is also 8-5. They struggled a little bit in conference play, 3-4, and four, but Leah Johnson averages 15-5-5 five five for them, uh, was a thorn in Shepard's side last year. It's going to be interesting to see how the, the Lady Rams are able to kind of corral her and Emily McAteer as well. We'll break that game down tonight. Broadcast schedule is a little bit tricky tonight, gentlemen, because – uh, we've got the game, obviously, but we also have the beginning of Governor Justice's State of the State address. We're going to have to cut that off. <laughs> so I'm sorry, uh, Governor Justice, if you're listening to this, because uh, Shepherd Basketball needs to get on the airwaves. Um, so it's going to be difficult to see how we maneuver around the breaks tonight, but uh, we're excited to bring you coverage of Shepherd men's basketball. As I mentioned, coming up in the next segment, I want to look back at the crazy college basketball we had yesterday, but... You know, I want to throw it at the end of this segment so we don't have to talk about it very long, guys. The Mountaineer men's basketball team falls to 5-10. and 10. They lose by 14 to Kansas State yesterday, 81-67. This team was up by two points at halftime, being the Mountaineers. Raekwon Battle was really the only consistent offensive threat they had throughout the game. Noah Farrakhan and Kirk Kreese also able to get in double figures, and Kreese finishes with five assists and a couple of beautiful dimes. Acook, Acook had some minutes where I was really happy with some of the things he was doing from an athletic standpoint. And Quince Lazinski uh, only played 21 minutes and did not start. Kansas State just presented too many problems. Cam Carter goes for 23, three other players in double figures. Daniel Woods, your thoughts on this game? It was a game that the Mountaineers probably, these are the kind of games you need to win if you really think you can right the ship and get back to the NCAA tournament. Um, so it was very frustrating to watch a two-point lead, albeit, at home slip away and you lose so demonstratively to a conference opponent. You know, when this team went down to Fort Myers uh, for the Fort Myers tip-off in, in December and had back-to-back games against SMU and Virginia where it, they completely fell apart in the second half, uh, you know, you could throw your hands up and say, oh, well, you know, they're only playing seven guys. You got tired legs. It's back-to-back games. Uh, you know, it's going to happen. They'll get some depth back and everything will be okay. Now you're playing nine, ten guys a night, and you're still having complete and utter second-half collapses. And something's got to change with that. This team did not defend at all in this game. I think that's what stood out primarily is there was just – it just felt like a lack of effort and a lack of really knowledge of what you were supposed to be doing on defense uh, as as it went on. And – I think the biggest issue that you see with this team is you have talented basketball players. You have Raekwon Battle, Noah Farrakhan, Kirk Carissa, guys that very clearly are highly skilled basketball players. And for whatever reason, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the egos of the players, 
nobody can seem to put the pieces together and get this team to work well with five guys on the floor that have the ability to win you basketball games. You have guys on this team that can win basketball games for you, but for one reason or another, you can't keep that five on the floor consistently. And and whatever that happens to be, I, I don't know what the what the the thorn in the side is. Uh, but watching this team is becoming extremely frustrating. Uh, the defensive effort feels non-existent, and you just can't cont- the the uh, again. It's cliche. The definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Uh, but we've sat here for 15 games and particularly since this core group of guys that came in, starting with that UMass game, since Carissa and Farrakhan and battle uh, all, all were able to play the, the same issues continue to crop up. And at a certain point, someone has to be able to say, one of these things needs to change. Something different has to happen for this basketball team. And you've been playing a zone half the year because you can't put five guys on the floor that can defend man-to-man. All right. At that point, find your five best man-to-man defenders and put them on the floor and see what happens. And at this point, I get that you're searching for answers, but you also just can't throw your hands up and say, we're just going to put guys that can score on the floor and hope something good happens. And where do we stand in terms of eligibility? Because obviously, A. Cook's done, Raekwon's most likely done. The yes. only ones that can't come back, is theoretically, is Farrakhan and maybe Creasa, right? Creasa absolutely can. Okay. Creasa at, at least has one more year. Okay, so it's it's not a matter of, you know, packing it in and, you know, playing the young guys because you just don't have that many guys on the roster. These guys got to play it out. It's what's going to be frustrating me more than anything, Parker Stone, is if Jesse Edwards comes back and this team starts winning games. I don't think that he is the one-size-fits-all solution to their problems because I watched over and over again WVU hedge ball screens and then just give up wide-open layups underneath the basket. That's an effort thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, but, you know, some of your thoughts here in the in the dying segments of this segment about uh, a Mountaineer basketball team that, you know, what stinks about it to me, and I'm sorry to jump over having you speak, when this is all said and done, then people can scream at me. Kirk Creasa, in my opinion, in terms of his raw talent, is a top five or six point guard that WVU has probably ever had. Raekwon Battle, to me, is one of the best 15 or 20 wing scorers that this program has ever had. Jesse Edwards is probably one of the top five or six big men that this program has ever had. You have them all on the floor at the same time. I know I understand Edwards is hurt, but this team is... This team can't be 14 points worse than Kansas State. This team can't be 40 points worse than Houston with this kind of talent. You know, we don't have to go after Josh Eilert. I applaud him being willing to step up and try to take over, although it seems like he's overmatched. With that said, I'm sorry. I, took, I just stepped on your toes there. Your thoughts on this WVU team? I always hate being this person, but I'm going to be it in this case. The season's over. The, the season, might well be. The season is over. And there's no NCAA tournament for this team. There's no NIT for this team. And it's, I, I know I hate to go after a dead horse, but I think a lot of this falls on Josh Eiler being too deep in over his feet. Great guy thrown into a, just a really, really tough situation. And I strongly believe WVU is going to be in the market for a head basketball coach this offseason. I really do. It's just, this is nothing against Josh Eiler. It's a really tough spot to be in, thrown into that position. You don't have that head coaching experience before, and you're playing in arguably the best conference ever assembled in college basketball right now. I mean, you look at the number of teams ranked. You look at Baylor. You look at Houston, Texas, 
Kansas, Oklahoma, TCU's right on the brink of being a top 25 team, BYU right now. It, it, this is a gauntlet that a Bob Huggins, a Hall of Fame level head coach in college basketball, would have had problems with at some points during his tenure. When you're throwing in a rookie head coach like this in the hardest conference in basketball, dealing with outside distractions with the exodus of Huggins, Jesse Edwards getting hurt, the Raekwon battle situation, the Kirk Cretia suspension, it's a lot thrown at your plate. But the fact he's not making adjustments more is very alarming as a head coach. And I don't want to go after him and say it's just I don't think he's ready for this. And maybe he is later down the line ready for another job. But Josh Allen right now is not the answer for WVU as a men's basketball coach. Well, this is – go ahead. I was just going to say, that no one was going to have success with this no. sequence of events. It, again, you can't lay this at the feet of the interim coach. No one was going to have success with this course of events. But, again, you're at a point now where you just have to get the best out of the next 10 to 12 games and – pursue the future at this point well we've got plenty of time the rest of the season to talk about the shortcomings of an unfortunate mountaineer basketball season but we've got a break to take when we return uh, number one and number two both lost yesterday in college basketball we'll talk about that as well you're listening to panhandle sports live you're listening to panhandle sports live want to join the conversation tweet your thoughts on today's show at ep sports network Continuing the threat of college basketball here on Panhandle Sports Live. It was an exciting day for Division I programs, not named West Virginia University, as number one and number two both fell. As we look back at some of these games, Nebraska top Purdue 16 points, 88-72, to 72, um, in a game that uh, really was a non-contest. Uh, Nebraska was able to get up um, and, and never really relinquished this lead to a Purdue team that was the consensus number one that in the last AP poll received 54 first-place votes. But uh, Nebraska, again, able to hang on and get the victory. And here's how some of it sounded on KLIN. He's got Tominaga coming to it. Hides chasing him, fires, and scores! It's unbelievable! Unbelievable three by Casey Tominaga. A lot going on in that call. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, Nebraska, Daniel Woods, this is a, a, a Nebraska team that shot, what was it, 14 of 22 from three, as I didn't have the box score pulled up, 14 of 23 from three. Um, when they want to play well, they can play very well. Tominaga, like you, like you heard there in the highlight, five of nine from behind the arc, goes for 19 points. They get 16 points off the bench from C.J. Wiltshire uh, and knock off the number one team in the lands. Uh, yeah, and this is a Nebraska team that uh, they invested in Fred Hoiberg a few years ago when he was fired by the Chicago Bulls. They really hadn't gotten a lot of return on that investment, uh, but now they opened the season 10-1 and in non-conference play. They're 13-3 and now after five Big Ten games. They just beat the number one team in the country. Uh, so uh, this Nebraska program, I, I think, is more talented. There's more talent in this program than we have seen uh, in recent years. Tominaga is somebody that came from junior college that uh, is really turning into something. Jawan Gary has improved for them over the last couple of years since coming over from Alabama. Uh, and then Rick Mast kind of holds things down in the middle at 6'10", 250 uh, from the Netherlands. And he transferred in from Bradford, or Bradley, excuse me, uh, Bradley, and has has really uh, turned into a quality player for them this year. Uh, so I think it goes to show you, and this is just that weird slog that you get into with the Big Ten. 
by the end of the year, it's going to feel like there's 10 different Big Ten teams that have NCAA tournament cases like it like it does every year. Uh, but again, when you're playing quality teams night in and night out, you're bound to have an off night and you're bound to have some tired legs. And I think that's what Purdue ran into last night. Uh, they limited the opportunities for Zach Eady. He only shot 10 field goals in this game and only shot five free throws, which I think is the biggest key to stopping him. Uh, so it, it feels like Nebraska came out, had a great offensive night, uh, and then were able to do enough to stop the quote-unquote irresistible force in college basketball right now. Well, not only did that happen last night, this did as well. Put back up, no good, and the rebound to Trey King, and a foul called, no. They wave it off. That's going to do it. How fitting is it that Trey King ends the game with a defensive rebound because he played a terrific game. And Iowa State knocks off number two Houston, 57-53. to So Iowa State wins 57-53. You heard the final call there right now. Um, It was a game in which they held Houston Parker Stone 38% from the field, 27% from three, and they only shot 12 free throws, did the Cougars. Got a 20-point performance uh, in the loss from Emmanuel Sharp. Uh, But Iowa State, as Mountaineer fans can attest to, it is a tough place to play on the road. And uh, they knocked off the number two team in the the country and furthered the statement that the Big 12 is the deepest and most competitive conference in college basketball. Well, with that win, that's probably going to get Iowa State ranked in the next poll that comes out. They're 12-3 and now after that win, giving Houston their first loss of the season. And you mentioned contenders for the national championship game. That's one in the Houston Cougars. They're firmly in that conversation of teams that can be winning the national championship and Iowa State to beat them in aims like that is very, very impressive. That's a really good resume builder for the Cyclones and their quest to get to the NCAA tournament this year. And you mentioned it, just the depth in the Big 12. We're getting another big matchup going on in the conference today. TCU's taking on Oklahoma, where the Sooners are ranked number nine in the nation. TCU is favored in that game by five points, and TCU is currently not ranked. It just speaks to the level of depth in the conference that I don't think is anywhere near matched in any other right now. And it's just insane that every single night it is. We talk about the EPAC being a dogfight every night. The Big 12 is a dogfight and then some every single night because you've got Houston and Kansas who are going to match up at the beginning of February that is going to be prime time watching for any college basketball fan you go down the list Baylor BYU's in that conversation UCF's having a much better season than what people thought they would have the Big 12 is going to be really tough it's going to be a really tough conference and Iowa State getting a big win at home against Houston probably solidified themselves as being a tournament team well guys I want to ask you this question because again you've got Another opportunity now to see who the top teams in college basketball are going to be with number one and number two falling. And and it's been a little bit of a weird start to the college basketball season with really nobody emerging as that top team, save Purdue, like Daniel mentioned, and uh, they lose last night. So as you look at the college basketball landscape, who in your guys' best estimation do you want to back early on? Obviously, it's the 10th day of January to win uh, a potential national championship. The Purdue team, you know, you mentioned Edie and just lost Houston in their man-to-man defense, you know, can still consider to be the top dogs. By the way, Houston was the last unbeaten team in college basketball, but you've got a Kansas team up there as well with Kevin McCuller. Um, Danny Hurley continues to be the coach I hate more than anybody else in college basketball, but man, you talk about home court advantage. That's a tough place to play. Rick Barnes in Tennessee. It's pronounced connect, isn't it? Dalton connect. Dalton connect. Yes. Yeah. Who, who's averaging 15 a game. I've only watched him once this year and we were watching that game together, Daniel. He's a heck of a player. And then, uh, you've got a team in Kentucky that's averaging 90 points a game right now. Um, in your guys' best estimation, who right now is your favorite to win a national championship? Daniel, I'll start with you. 
I would still stay with Purdue. That is that is my overwhelming favorite at this point. Uh, that's it's hard to argue. I, I mean, you get an off night against a team like Nebraska that has a, a hot shooting night at home. Uh, you know, they don't get Zach Eady to the free throw line a whole lot in that game. And whether you want to talk about the officiating or, or what, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in that game, uh, you, you ha- it feels like that was just an off night for Purdue and that it was uh, really one of the best games that Nebraska is going to play all year. If I'm going to point to another team beyond Purdue, I mean, we've done the Houston thing. Uh, I, I don't know that Houston has the scoring punch. Uh, Kansas, I, I I just don't believe in the depth at Kansas this year. Uh, Tennessee, when Rick Barnes gets past the second weekend, then I'll believe in Tennessee. <laughs> Donovan Klingon is currently out for UConn. He continues to have foot issues, which for a guy at seven foot three, we know historically we need to be worried about. And really, that leaves me with Kentucky. And it's weird to say it after the last few years that Kentucky has had, but this feels like a team that has the has the ability to get it done in the postseason. They're going to have to get better defensively, but this team has five guys averaging double figures. Antonio Reeves is averaging 18.5 points per game. Rob Dillingham is one of the best freshman scorers in the country and dishes out four assists a game. And you've got Reed Shepard, who, who's just an impact guy on both ends of the floor as a freshman averaging 12 points, four assists, and two and a half steals per game. Uh, so if this Kentucky team... Uh, can bring it together a little bit more defensively because this is not a great defensive team. And I think that can change when they get a little more depth inside. They were playing Trey Mitchell at the center position for a lot of non-conference play. They're starting to get some of those seven footers inside healthy. Ugana Onyenso has started playing in the last five games. Aaron Bradshaw has played the last seven games. Uh, So now that they've got a a true presence inside, I think you're going to see this team improve defensively as SEC play goes on. Uh, So I think Kentucky really sticks out as a non-Purdue entity for me as a team that I think could make that national title run. I'm not just saying this because Tyler Kolick's my favorite player in college basketball, but I haven't given up a Marquette yet. They just they need to shoot the ball a little bit more consistently. So I'm back in Rick Kozlowski's boys uh, and Marquette, despite the fact that, what were they in the last poll? They fall out of the top 11. 10. Yeah, they're tied for 11 with uh, Daniel Woods' beloved Blue Devils. Parker Stone, your thoughts. Who's your national champion? I think it's time they finally get this thing done, and I'm riding with the Houston Cougars. I think that they've been right at that brink for a number of years now, whether being a Final Four team or a team that gets to the Elite Eight. They haven't got past those last two or one hurdle in their quest for a national championship. And although they lost last night, I still think talent-wise this is up there as one of the best teams in the country. So I'm picking the Houston Cougars as the team I'm looking at to be a national champion. Outside of that, if you want to give me like a wild card team, If Baylor gets hot, I'd watch out for Baylor. You look out for other teams as well. San Diego State, who's coming off a national runner-up last year in the national championship game, they're sitting at 19th. They could make a run as well. And look out for Gonzaga, too. I know they're not having the top season we're usually used to Gonzaga basketball. They're only 11-4, and but it's one of those teams that could sneak in as like a 4 or a 5 seed coming into the tournament. That could go on a little bit of a run if things fall their way. But if you ask me today, the favorite for me is the Houston Cougars. I'll tell you, another team I was interested in until last night was BYU. They lost to Baylor. And uh, our boy Jalen Bridges, Fairmont native, goes for 25 points. I like uh, that neat. So Good for him. him. We've got one more break to take. We'll get Parker's picks. Uh, we'll set our broadcast schedule for the next couple of days. We'd love to take your text as well. 304-263-4321. Any comments from the gallery would be much appreciated. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. 
Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live. College basketball coming up tonight, as we mentioned, as the Shepherd University Rams will travel just outside the fighting city of Philadelphia to take on Westchester. I'm Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods, but most importantly for this segment, Parker. Yeah, Cohen. well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. And with the power of friendship in the Orlando Magic, Jalen Suggs was able to hit his lock yesterday. We had two and a half. We had the over on it. He hit four in the Magic loss over the Timberwolves. We had the under on De'Aaron Fox threes that did not happen. He did go over on those. He hit four in a game that was a close one for a little bit with the Kings and the Pistons, but they pulled away in the second half, 131 to 110, the final on that one. And R.J. Barrett was just one three short. He only attempted three, made one out of three in what turned out to be one of the games of the night in the NBA, 132 to 131 win Lakers over Raptors, where Anthony Davis scores 41 points for the purple and gold. So we're going to go to college basketball today, a couple blue blood picks, and also I guess you can call this an upset if you want to call it that way. But I'm taking today's lock is going to be Kansas over UCF. I think that Kansas right now, they're also in that conversation of teams that can be in that contention, the title hunt. UCF having a better season than what we thought. But I just think Kansas is that better of a team. I'm taking them to win outright today over UCF. Also taking North Carolina over NC State. North Carolina is about a four-point favorite against the Wolfpack. Tar Heels are having a pretty good season right now. I got them over NC State playing on the road tonight. And then also I am taking the Horned Frogs at TCU to get the win over ninth-ranked Oklahoma at home. Just with the Big 12, home, field courts, everything. I think TCU finds a way to get themselves ranked in the next top 25 with a big top 10 win over the Sooners. So I'm going with the Horned Frogs for that one. So Kansas, North Carolina, TCU, all winners today on Parker's Picks. Guys, you look at the rest of the sports headlines we had yesterday. Uh, Eric Spolstra signed an insane contract to lock on eight more years there for the Miami Heat, $120 million uh, for him. Other things that happened yesterday, um, some weird stuff happening with your defensive coordinator over there for the G-Men, and Mike Vrabel gets fired, which surprised a lot of people as the Titans, and I didn't even think about this as a possibility until I saw an article, considered the notion of trading him and then just decided to fire him instead because I think there would be a couple teams out there. I think the Raiders would be a team that wouldn't necessarily say no to moving some, a small amount of capital for that head coach. But, uh, Parker Stone, I'll start with you. I mean, weird coaching changes um, in the NFL and a weird situation with the Giants defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll start with the Titans and Mike Vrabel at the beginning. So I think this is less of a firing and more of a parting of ways for the two. It just also, also very confusing why you let a good coach and Mike Vrabel go. If you're Tennessee, they're making some very questionable decisions. I think the front office is more to blame in Tennessee than Mike Vrabel at coach, but the finger of blame always first goes to the coach and then it goes to the general manager in the front office. But Vrabel gets let go. Sneaky name for Vrabel to go to. And this might be a little hot this morning. Philadelphia. As a DC? As a head coach. Oh. Especially if they lose that playoff game to Tampa. So you think Sirianni's out the door? If they lose against Tampa this weekend, Nick Sirianni's 100% out the door. Wow. I think so. Mike Vrabel is a sneaky look for the Philadelphia Eagles. So keep that in mind, especially if Philly loses this weekend. 
But Mike Vrabel being let go, it's going to be a mistake for Tennessee. They're setting themselves back. And again, I think this all went downhill when they traded A.J. Brown for Traylon Burks pretty much on draft night. So That's that falls in that. But also with the uh, defensive coordinator situation for the Giants, the uh, the Wink Martindale situation. So it was reported in season that Brian Dable, head coach of the Giants, and Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, were at odds and a split was imminent. But seems like everything got patched up. Then there was reports that he resigned. There was reports that he's not. And now it's coming out that he's currently still employed. He hasn't officially formally resigned as of yet. And he's down in Florida just hanging out right now. So it's uh it's a <laughs> weird nice. it's a weird situation. I, I hope he stays. I like Wink, but I also don't want a massive rift in the Giants coaching staff with Dable and Wink if that's the case. But I don't know. Hey, if your Raiders let Antonio Pierce go, I'd be more than happy to bring him to New York as defensive coordinator. Bring him home. So either way, I'm cool with it. But the only problem is they built that defense around Wink's scheme, like Deontay Banks, man coverage corner. Uh, outside pass rushers like Thibodeau, he's really thrived in that scheme last year. I hope he stays for scheme purpose, but if it's a headache, I also understand. With the exception of Pierce Daniel Woods, I mean, is that it for head coaches' heads rolling, or are we going to see anybody else get axed? Uh, it feels like that's going to be it. Uh, the only thing, again, that comes to mind is, is like Parker said, the, the possibility of a, a Sirianni move in Philadelphia if they lose in this wild card round. But even then, I don't know how sold I am on that. As far as the Vrabel stuff, and I tweeted a little bit about this yesterday. You can follow me on Twitter at dwoods on air. By the way, uh, hashtag cheap plug at, at dwoods at dwoods on air. Boo. That's D as in dog. Uh, you you can see my thoughts on this there, but it, it feels like this is probably a move for the Titans where. Uh, with Will Levis going into year two, Derrick Henry more than likely moving on in free agency, it felt like a time for a hard reset for this franchise uh, to bring in somebody else that's going to build a culture around Will Levis, build a culture around the younger pieces on that team, and, and kind of move forward uh, as opposed to keeping Mike Vrabel around, keeping uh, the the kind of concept of what this this Titans team has been in recent years. And I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think there's a, a case to be made that this could in you know two years time be viewed as a positive move for Tennessee because they changed that culture and build around a different group of players. Name well, to watch for that job, uh, Bobby Slowick, Houston Texans offensive coordinator. All right, that's going to do it for us. Shepherd basketball tonight in the 7 o'clock hour for Daniel Woods, Parker Stone. I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.